It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. A science story, huh? And I just thought, well, I figured it, out. I it was that golden moment. Because science was on my side. Hey everyone, I'm Ben Lilly, and welcome to the Story Collider, where we bring you true stories of how science has affected people's lives. This week's story is from Justin Werfel. The story was recorded in June 2013 at Johnny D's in Somerville, Massachusetts. The theme of the night was The Science I Never Expected. Being a scientist means that I get excited about stupid things. Like the fact that my business cards say scientist. Like the fact that my institute issued me three lab coats with my name printed in the collar. I work in front of a computer, but I get official lab coats? That's awesome. You know I'm going to find a reason to wear that. It gets cold in the office sometimes. Most of my work is in robotics, in coming up with ways to get large numbers of independent robots to do things you want together, which is how I ended up in Namibia, obviously. You know, it's because uh, a lot of this kind of work in swarm robotics is inspired by social insects, by things like ants and bees, where you've got thousands or millions of independent agents. Each one is capable of not very much on its own, but together they can do amazing things. They're the most successful insects on the planet. And we want to try to figure out how to harness some of that power. One kind of social insect that doesn't get a lot of love is the termite. Uh, around here, of course, termites are mostly known for destroying buildings, but some kinds of termites on other continents are known for building. They make these enormous, complicated mounds that can be several meters tall with all kinds of complicated architecture, which shows that large numbers of independent agents can build large-scale complicated things, which is great because it means that we can legitimately ask, how could we get robots to build that way for us? I mean, not specifically to build us termite mounds, because we've got about as many of those as we need, but to build us houses, right, or skyscrapers, or anything we want. So that's been a major research topic for a number of years, and we found ways of making it happen in the lab. But the details of what our robots do are not very much like the details of what real termites do. And one of the reasons for that is that no one actually knows very much about the details of what real termites do. So when we showed our work to a biologist who specializes in termite mounds, uh, and he said, oh, this is really interesting. You know, we should find a way to work together. And the first step in that is, you guys need to come visit my research site in Namibia and study mound-building termites. This was the best thing ever. <laughs> really, work wants to send me to Africa to study termites. Holy crap. You don't get to do this sort of thing very much when you work on robots. So I and my friend and colleague, Kirsten, uh, went off to Africa to pretend to be field biologists. 
And this was really a fascinating kind of experience for a couple of researchers whose previous experience with bugs had you know, really been limited to the software variety. Our first step in preparing for the trip was to look up Namibia on a map. <laughs> Turns out it's next to South Africa. Great, you know, this, that was easy. We're off to a fantastic start. If the whole trip goes this smoothly, it's gonna be a cinch. Now let me be clear. We knew that we didn't know what we were doing. We had certain experiments in mind that we were hoping to try, but we didn't exactly expect them to work. We were more sort of going to find out why they wouldn't work, so that when we went back the following year with a bigger expedition and really counted on collecting good data, uh, we'd have a basis for doing that. But despite the knowledge that we were going not so much necessarily to do things as to find out how to do things, still in the back of my mind was this idea that we were going to go there collect all the data we needed and be finished. And I think part of that attitude might have come from my training in physics. I was a physics major as an undergrad, uh, and I switched fields in grad school, but I joined a lab full of physicists. And part of the culture of physics is the idea that you should be able to walk into any situation you have never encountered before and just solve it from first principles. <laughs> physics is the incredible hulk of the sciences. It's no accident that Bruce Banner was a physicist. You know, you think you've got a difficult problem that you can't get to the other side of? Physics smash! <laughs> That's where all the power is, you know? And so we're just going to go to Africa in, an, in one week, do our experiments, and figure out what termites are doing. No problem. So we set off on what turned out to be a uh, roughly 48-hour journey to get from Boston to the Omajani Research Station. We land in Windhoek, we're driving up basically the main highway in the country, and there's giraffes just wandering along next to the highway. Welcome to Africa. We finally get to the research station, and uh, the house that we're supposed to stay in, which had been renovated in the last year, turned out to have been broken into, and all of the, the fixtures stolen, the water taps and so on, because of their valuable metal. Again, welcome to Africa as one of the locals said to us. We stayed instead in a less maintained house that was made out of dirt and insects. Let me digress for a minute here uh, to tell you about the insects in Namibia, which came at a scale that I have never imagined <laughs> outside of like paleontology books. For instance, there were crickets. Okay, you know crickets, right? Imagine a cricket. Okay, in Namibia they have what they call commando crickets you can pretty much fit one into one hand, but you might want to use both. <laughs> you will need both hands for the dung beetles. Uh, and it wasn't just the insects, other arthropods as well. Uh, our first night there, we'd been traveling for two full days. We're finally settling in, getting ready to sleep. And Kirsten walks into the room I'm staying in with her hair visibly standing on end, and the following happens verbatim. She says, I will give you $20 if you get this spider out of my room. And I pick up my boot and I follow her going, oh my god, I am so tired. I know you don't like spiders. This is just... Oh. <laughs> I'm not sure this boot is going to be big enough. <laughs> so we got some questionably restful sleep and settled in the next morning to our daily routine. We'd go out and set termite traps, uh, bring them back to the lab, aka living room, and sort them out into dishes, uh, petri dishes, put them into different experimental conditions, and record what they do. Simple. 
I mean, for a physicist, you know, first assume a spherical termite. But that approach turns out not to work so cleanly in biology. Because it turns out that termites are animals. Yeah, I mean, who knew, right? And as animals, they have their own plans, which rarely coincide with ours. I'll give you just one example. So there was a protocol that our biologist host showed us. Uh, He showed us how to do this. It worked fine. He'd done it any number of times. Uh, you take fluorescent paint and you put little dabs of it on the abdomens of a bunch of termites, put them in a dish in a dark room with an ultraviolet light. The paint lights up and you can see exactly where the termites are. Great. Okay. So I'm interested in the position and orientation of the heads, which on the scale of a termite can be significantly different from that of the abdomen. So I said, okay, no problem. I'll just put the drops of paint on the heads. Well, first of all, the termites that you want to paint are running around in the dish at top speed all of the time. Uh, the abdomen turns out to be a uh, sort of a trailing target that you can hit fairly easily, but the head is much more wiggly and unpredictable. And the head has antennae, which the termite is waving around all of the time. And if at any instant one of the antennae brushes against the drop of paint, it's glued to the termite's head. And a termite with an antenna glued to its head just has no attention left for anything else. You have broken that termite. So it's the question of getting enough practice at putting these drops of paint on these tiny, fast-moving heads protected by these sort of antenna force fields. Fortunately, I play video games. (laughs) And I get through like 200 of these in a series of dishes. I'm finally finished. I turn back to the first dish. There's no paint on these termites. What the hell? There's some paint on these termites. I look at the most recent dishes. The termites are drinking the paint off each other's heads. This never happened with the abdomens. It turns out termites love drinking paint off each other's heads. I tell you what, physics is not prepared to predict that. Why puny termites not obey Hulk? In neuroscience, there's a a term for experimental subjects that are awake and going about their business. Uh, These are called behaving animals. Because... Biologists apparently have a finely honed sense of irony. (laughs) I might have chosen a different adjective. So this sort of thing kept happening, right? And it was never exactly surprising that these things happened, but each of them was unexpected, right? Which, again, is why we were there. We were there to refine our expectations, which meant that in a staggering feat of intellectual judo, every time one of these experiments failed, it was a success, because we're there to learn, and that's what we're doing. We're learning that termites can teleport through solid petri dishes to escape. (laughs) We're learning that puff adders, Africa's most dangerous snake, roam the farm freely. (laughs) We're learning that termites bite hard enough to draw blood, which incidentally means that now every full moon, Kirsten and I get an irresistible craving for wood (laughs) and fluorescent paint. (laughs) We're learning. The whole thing is this experience of exploration, which is really the thing that got us into science in the first place. It's one evening at the end of the trip. Chris and I have taken off a couple days at the end for tourism. We are on Namibia's famous red sand dunes. The sun is going down. The wind is rippling the dune grass. 
We can see for miles across broad plains to where distant mountains are slowly becoming suffused with deepening crimson. It is a gorgeous landscape, a gorgeous sunset. And oblivious to it all, Kirsten and I are down on our hands and knees in the sand trying to photograph a pair of fighting ants. I mean, we're aware that there's a sunset going on because the light for our photography is fading. <laughs> Kirsten points out the situation and says, what is wrong with us? We're scientists, which means we get excited about stupid things. Thank you. That was Justin Werfel. Justin is a research scientist at Harvard's Weiss Institute for Biologically Inspired Engineering. He received his PhD at MIT and did postdoctoral work at Harvard and the New England Complex Systems Institute. He works on topics including swarm robotics, evolutionary theory, DNA self-assembly, and cancer modeling. He is a two-time Mass Mouth Big Mouth Off finalist and Audience Choice winner. This event was produced in part with the Cambridge Science Festival 2013. For more science stories, take a look at storycollider.org, where we have archives of the podcast and upcoming events. The next shows are June 18th in New York City, that's this Tuesday, and June 25th in London. The Story Collider is produced by me, Brian Wecht, Aaron Barker, and Ari Daniel Shapiro. The podcast is produced by Rose Avalith. Additional help from Brooke Williams, Lena Groger, and Justin D'Ambrosio. The theme music is by Ghost. Special thanks to Johnny Dees for hosting the show, to the Cambridge Science Festival for being a wonderful series of events, and to termites for being awesome and gross, like so much of nature. Thanks for listening. <laughs>